0: Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Tony Sam. And in
1: my head I was going, you are the strongest. Nothing can defeat you. You are tough. And that's when the police officer said, what did you just say?
0: (laughs) That and more. But first... You know, I have a very special, very unique friendship with a woman named Jan Warner that I met in a storytelling class over a decade ago. I have learned so much about grief from Jan because Jan wrote the book, Grief Day by Day. Jan lost her amazing husband, Artie, almost 12 years ago. And Artie was hilarious and brilliant And stubborn, I mean, he could be a real son of a bitch. Artie went from being a homeless alcoholic to becoming one of the pillars, one of the granddaddies of Alcoholics Anonymous in the United States. Both Jan and Artie's life stories are so full of surprises that it's no wonder Artie's death hit Jan so, so hard. She would tell me about grief attacks about suicidal ideation about her guilt about not having done this or said that about the doctor who told her she should you know not be grieving anymore after 6 months i still get pissed off about that story about the ways that she reconnected to some aspects of her faith <laughs> but only parts and about how much it meant to her to build a community on Facebook called Grief Speaks Out, where she learned more and more about grief meditations, grief breathing exercises, healthy and unhealthy coping mechanisms, creativity exercises, and the dozens and dozens of insights from great thinkers and writers, psychologists, spiritual leaders, and ordinary people that you will find in Grief Day by Day, Simple Practices and Daily Guidance for Living with Loss by Jan Warner. Now here's the show. Whoa! kids this is risk the show where people tell true stories they never thought they dared to share i'm kevin allison this is the first episode of 2022 oh my fucking god (laughs) let's see where this year takes us (laughs) You know, this was recorded during the Christmas break, so I am uh, a little uh, loosey-goosey right now while I'm recording this, and this is the Rilburn Stearns behind me now, and this is the first Risk episode in history that was curated by someone other than me, Michelle Walson. Is the person on the risk staff that we have nicknamed the story whisperer? Michelle is one of our many fabulous coaches who helps our storytellers prepare for the show. Each of our coaches has their own style. I would say that mine is pretty heavy handed. <laughs> and Michelle is famous for being able to hear someone's story right then and there and be able to see the overall structure from like a helicopter view and very subtly start to make suggestions to that person that helps them to reframe it entirely. Anyway, as you know, we've been trying to think of ways to try new things around here. So we gave Michelle access to our archives Anything we've recorded over the years, but have not yet run on the podcast, and she curated a few episodes for us, including this one where all three stories have the theme of undercover or uh, double life. Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear from my good friend Karen Deal, who is at the Punchline in Philly from January 6th to January 8th. Karen is absolutely not to be missed one of the sharpest comedians out there today and we'll be hearing a story where kieran quite literally was undercover like you know investigative reporting it was recorded in 2015 a good while back at the risk live show in los angeles But before that, we're going to hear from Tony Sam. His comedy album, Scaredy Cat, is available through Stand Up Records. And his debut poetry book, Wasteland, Poems for L.A., is available on Amazon.com. Here's Tony Sam now at the Risk Live show in Los Angeles in 2014 with a story we call A Fuel Efficient Fuck-Up.
1: Well, I should tell you, uh, I just preface this, everything I'm about to tell you is true. So don't think it's all made up. (laughs) Because it's my first job as a comedian to be a reporter of things. So uh, let's all get in a time machine. Let's all get in our DeLorean, buckle the belt, and go back to December 17th, 2011. I was having the worst... Probably one of the worst years of my life. I I guess I had just separated from my roommate slash wife. (laughs) (laughs) It was a terrible year, and everything that year had seemed to go wrong, and then it ended where I was at a Christmas party where there was free booze. Now, I should say also, I don't drink, really. I never drink. I hardly ever drink. And... (laughs) But I decided I was going to make up for all that time and have all the drinks. (laughs) All of them. It's like I was going for a record or something that had not been established. So I drank all the drinks, and I thought I'd be okay because I had some nachos, and I thought that would (laughs) soak up the night. Now, my friends, they all said, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I got it. So then I took off into the night. And so as I'm driving, like I am rocking out. Like I am having a good time. Like I am just, yeah, I'm alive. And then there was a sobriety checkpoint. Now a lot of you assume I'm driving a car at this point. I was riding a silver Vespa. Uh, It is a sex machine. Like the women get wet when they see me on it kind of thing and a Vespa is essentially a confession chair on wheels (laughs) so I'm in trouble so I pull up to the checkpoint and the officer is like "Uh, so have we been drinking tonight and now the key to selling a lie is to maintain eye contact and to believe what you say and so this is what I did Mm -mm. (laughs) mm-mm Like a stupid child who had been caught red-handed. He's like, oh, okay. I'm going to need you to lean forward and breathe in my face. And I go, oh, oh, oh. and he's like, I'm going to need you to step off the bike. And I'm like, oh, shit. Here we go. It's on. It's real now. Now, there's nothing more embarrassing than trying to stand a scooter up that you really can't because you are drunk. And so you're fumbling with this scooter if it's not embarrassing enough. So then it was time for the sobriety test. And the first one is my favorite. It's the nose touch. You can do it really fast because we're all hopefully sober right now. But uh, that's my favorite one. Now I will tell you, when you do that, you should not go
2: boom, 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 boom,
1: boom when you do it. (laughs) Because it shows an arrogance To authority, and they will put it in the police report. (laughs) So, I mean, I thought I passed that with flying colors. It would later show in the police report that he said I touched here, here, and somewhere off my face. So the next one is uh, another great one where you hold your foot out and you have to count to 20 or as much as you can count by holding it out in front of you. I'm doing it really well now, but I think it's really hard to do even when you're sober. And I was determined not to go to jail, so I held it out and in my head I was going, you are the strongest, nothing can defeat you, you are tough! And that's when the police officer said, what did you just say? (laughs) I was like, what did you think you heard? So he's like, I'm going to have to have you blow. No, so I blow into the thing. I blow a .09, which is terrible because it's right on the cusp. And another thing you should not say when a police officer says that is, that's it? (laughs) Like I'd failed a test or something. Like, oh, man. So he arrested me. He handcuffed me. He put me in the back of a squad car, and I was like, oh shit, I'm going to jail. And that's when I decided I'm going to have a good time. <laughs> no matter what else happens tonight, I'm going to have a good time. So the night begins. <laughs> so I thought the first thing I should do is breathe on the, the window in the back seat of the squad car and write, help me with my nose. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was, my blood alcohol level was rising because I was drunk. But I didn't think about, it It would not look like help me on the outside. (laughs) So when we pull up to a stop, there's a car next to me and I yell the words because maybe he can't read that. So I go, help me! And the cop tells me to shut the hell up. So we get to the police station. He handcuffs me to a long bench with degenerates, which I am now a degenerate, and I am determined to still have a good time. So through the double doors, they come crashing open, the same ones that I came in, and there's four officers trying to restrain a very angry man who looks like he's done all the drugs. (laughs) And he's wearing a white jumpsuit, and it's covered in blood. And I'm saying, if there is a god, do not sit this man (laughs) down next to me. So that's how I know there's not a God, <laughs> because they set him right here, and I was like, "Oh God, please don't talk to me." And he wanted to talk to me. I don't know what he wanted. He wanted to just talk to me for some reason. And so he looks. So he goes, "Hey, hey," and I am. determined like, "I don't wanna. I don't wanna look over there." He goes, "Hey," and I go, "Yes," and he goes, "Ah," <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, okay, all right." So he's like, what'd you do, motherfucker? And I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. What I meant is I don't want to talk to you about it, but I was being polite. It's like, I don't want to talk about it. He's like, I stabbed someone, motherfucker! And I don't know why he said this, but I said, well, if you're going to be in here for anything, you might as well go all the way for it. And he goes, what? And I repeated. And he said, hey, well, Anything you might as well just go for it, you know, and, and then there was this weird silence. And he goes, ha, ha, I like you, motherfucker. <laughs> so I'd earned his trust, but he was determined to know what I did. And he's like, So what'd you do? And I go, Well, I had some margaritas, <laughs> ah. and then he didn't like that. <laughs> he was like, Oh, and then he like turned away. So some time passes. This is the abridged version. We're giving the abridged version for risk. Some time passes. He's now going to tell me that he has cocaine in his shoe, and he needs my help to get it out. <laughs> now, I don't know if he knew how handcuffs work, but I couldn't help him, nor did I want to. But at that point, I learned that prison changes a man, and I narked on that motherfucker faster than I narked on anybody in my entire life. I called my arresting officer over and I said, you're going to want to check his shoe, huh? Can I get out of here early? Now, some of you feel bad for him because I narked, but he also stabbed someone, so don't. So they take him, they put him in this room, and there's a glass window here, and he's looking right at me while they're going through his shoe. And if they had laser beams out of his eyes, I would not have a face. And I was just so glad there was a room there with doors and restraints, because he would have killed me. And I did feel like I lost a friend. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Some other crazy people come in. They bring this guy. He sits down next to me on this side again. I don't know why they kept sitting him next to me. This guy talks to me right away. First thing he says is, do you think I should fake a seizure? <laughs> and I say, I really wish you would. So he starts selling it. It's like if there was an award for his performance, I would have given it to him. He falls off the bench. He's foaming at the mouth. The police must have seen this performance before because they were not impressed. And they threw him back on the bench. There's this uneasy silence now. And I look to him and I say, well, I thought it was just great. <laughs> so my arresting officer, he comes to get me. It's time to go. I get out an hour early for my tattletailing. And I'm proud of it. I should have said, I was meeting a girl on a date. I was supposed to be on a date this night. I was excited to meet this girl. We were possibly going to have sex. And that was great for me to think about. But, so I said, I had to call her and say, hey, we're, we're, the date's going to be a little late. <laughs> I'm going to need you to come get me. <laughs> <laughs> Which gets women wet. <laughs> so we come out into the lobby, and the police officer says, well, hey, stay out of trouble, because that's what you say. And the girl was there, and she's like, are you still drunk? And I go, no, let's get out of here. And I walk with purpose through a door into the men's bathroom. <laughs> so now I'm in the men's bathroom. I'm like, oh, great. Now I look like a real fucking idiot. And I decide to wash my hands and take my time. And I come out. And I go, I just wanted to tidy up. Let's go. And the cops are standing there like, you fucking idiot. The best part of this whole story is I got a good attorney and the whole American legal system is built on the fact that if you have a good lawyer, I mean, that's what happens. So I paid a lot of money that I didn't have to get a good lawyer and I was convicted of drag racing (laughs) on a Vespa, (laughs) right? not even, it was aiding and abetting a street race, which is I was the girlfriend waving a (laughs) kerchief so, my boyfriend could race. <laughs> hey, I learned a lesson, right? Thanks, guys. I'm with Tony Sam. <laughs> oh, hell. There How you are. doing?
2: Well,
1: oh, I'm great. I'm doing okay. How, doing are, you? Okay? How
2: are you? I'm, I'm, doing I'm not so good because you were uh, weaving all over the road there. Well, can Sir? we get one thing straight? I have not um, been drinking. We need to okay, right hand to the nose. Yes. With the left hand,
1: All right. and
2: back out. Right. I need you to recite the alphabet from Z to A backwards as fast oh, as you can. From you Z do that to A. Me?
3: Yeah. Sure. Backwards. Uh
0: Z Y X, W, V, U, T, S, R, Q, P, O, N, M, L, K, J, I, H, G, F, E, D, C, B, A.
2: Remarkable. I've actually never seen anybody do that. I want you to step, bump, step, bump, bump, step, bump, step, bump, bump, five, six, seven, eight. Step, bump, step, bump, bump, step, bump, step, bump, bump, pot a array. Kickball change step clap.
0: You know what would be good is if you hitch kicked, and then a barrel turn, and then
2: ha! You know <laughs> that was that was good. That would be that was know, really good. You a dancer?
1: No, 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 no. Not a, I'm, I'm just drunk. Gotcha
2: ah, up against you, the vehicle right now, you sir. Are, So I was actually up for a, a job uh, with an organization called Vice. I've been working for them like on the internet doing these like munchies videos. So I was up for a job with them to like be in like the Brooklyn office and be like all badass. So my friend and I were like trying to get this job cuz it'd be an amazing thing. Like obviously like it's full of purpose and like yeah, that's what this is about, right? Like that's what you want to do. Like fucking shit with shit. Um, <laughs> very articulate. Um, I'm very interested in women and I'm interested in in women's issues. That's big thing to me Uh, it's really important before I started doing stand-up I did a documentary about women rebel soldiers in Nepal and so a friend of mine suggested this true thing that happens here in Los Angeles there's a underground karaoke hostessing bars where like you as an attractive young woman can submit a picture on Craigslist and get selected and then drive around in a van driven by a stranger, line up for uh, strange men in private rooms in karaoke bars and get picked out of a lineup and then be an escort slash prostitute with these dudes for money. Any takers? That's was more of like an advertisement. That's what I was going for. So me and my friend were like, yeah, this is awesome. This is like the perfect thing to look at with um, the with Vice video. Uh, and so I imagined going into it that like, like women like are being judged off of the way that they look right like that's the whole thing with that you're gonna go in you're gonna be picked out of a lineup so i'm expecting that like that's part of it if you're a woman and you're like alive in society today you know that on some level you're gonna be judged by the way that you look that goes for everyone but like let me just point out that in the top 10 forbes list okay is uh it's like technology 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 and like then it's oil, and then it's L'Oreal. That's like number four or five on like the list of things that drive our global economy, which means that what we're interested in is like oil and things that keep the world going, and also mascara. <laughs> I know that beauty is going to be a part of this. Like, I know that that's a thing and it like makes me scared. It makes me, you know, the idea that you're going to be judged just on the way you look, but I'm like, fuck it, it's going to be awesome. And so we find a woman to take us underground with her. Like we find this chick and she's going to fucking take us with her. And she's this, uh, porcelain looking model with like this black hair and she's she's actually pretty nice and we're picking our outfits together and this should have been a red flag because when we're picking the outfit there's two outfits and they're two like cocktail dresses and she looks at one and she's like well I think that you should go uh with that one um because it shows your boobs more there's just like more cleavage and I was like I thought you said that we're supposed to look classy and she was like well, um, the kind of men that would go for you—it's like probably more of like an African American clientele, or like an Arabic clientele, or like even an Indian clientele—and it's just like they probably would like it if it was like just a little more. And I and I stopped her and I was like, "So you're saying that ethnic men like sluttier women?" And she was like, "Basically." <laughs> She's just like this adorable kind of Betty Boop of racism. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? With her hair. And she's like. <sighs> so we get dressed up. The boobs are up to the eyeballs. And we go, and our cameraman drops us off at this Denny's. Oh, because if I didn't tell you, the parking lot where we're going to be meeting this guy is right outside of a Denny's. <laughs> Classic America. <laughs> It's my dad's favorite restaurant, I don't think he would be proud. And we're walking down the street and we have these coats on and there's like, I have this watch, like an undercover watch, which like shoots undercover footage or whatever. We get picked up by this Korean man in a minivan. And this is fascinating because it's like, it's just this guy with a minivan. And now he's decided that that's a company. So I love that about the entrepreneurial spirit of America, that you can just be an immigrant who comes to this country, gets a van, fills it with slutty-looking women looking to make money, and you're just like, I'm an S corporation. (laughs) There's something fun about that, and I appreciated the spirit of that. But we go into the first place, I forget my ID, and so we have to double back. And once we double back, we get into our car and... um, She's texting with our driver while we're in the car, and we're planning where we're going to meet him again at the Denny's. And she goes, this is really fucked up, and I'm really sorry, but he's saying that um, I can come back, but you can't come back. And I was like, well, what about if we like go together? She's like, it's just and you don't deserve this because you're beautiful and like you're amazing and like this is some serious ignorance on these guys parts but um they don't like colored girls of any kind
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and what i appreciated was the pause just between colored girls and of any kind, as if in the middle, this girl expected me to be like, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, I think you, no, no, no. Nah, nah, nah. Damn it. Damn it. Like, She like, like, what am I gonna respond? You know, oh, no, I don't fall on that part of the color wheel, ma'am. Um, and it was 2015, all right? I was sitting in a fucking car in 2015, and... My reaction was like as if I was in the 60s. I've watched the footage. It's like it just glazed over me. Like I'm like, oh yeah, color girls of any kind. Like it didn't bother me. And I think it's because it takes a second for like the shock of that to set in. It just takes a second for you to even realize that something shitty is happening to you. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. You're like, oh, this is like one of those moments that people talk about where like, this thing is like happening to your face. And it was a couple of minutes later and then I finally was like, you know, I wish I was more surprised, but I'm not, because I feel like at every juncture of the entertainment industry in Los Angeles, there is sexism and there is racism that exists pervasively. I was like, from the diversity hires in writer's rooms, to the people who are managing auditions, to the faces that you see, to the YouTube comments, just, it's at every single point. So why would I expect the illicit prostitution escort ring to be the fucking bastion of the NAACP? It, as if I'm turning to them to be like, but these guys will have it right. We're selling pussy equal opportunity employment. You know, like that's, like, that's an insane thing for me to, to think that that would happen. And I realized it's like, I started with this stuff about beauty because it's like, as a woman, it's like you hold your own insecurities. It's like, I'll be insecure that my eyes bug out of my head too much or that my nose is too big for my face. These are my insecurities, but like, I've never been insecure about my skin color. I've never been insecure about being brown. And I just thought this was like a layer cake of discrimination. And I was like, these people could do better than that. You know what I mean? Like the idea that you would take like a busted looking white woman over like a mediocre brown one, I feel like is just bad math. You like, like, stick with misogyny. Don't try to, like, mix it in with racism. It's like, just stick with, like, one shitty thing. Do you know what I mean? So we all know what playing field we're on, you know? It's like, are you going to choose, like, a fucking Janice Dickinson over, like, a mediocre Kieran Deal? Like, that's, that's bad logic. It's just, ba- like, play by rules that I get. That's, that, that was my big takeaway from it. So I was like, I'm probably like 50% like woman and like I'm like 50% this and the other 50% of me is just like an entrepreneur because I was like, get me back in there coach. I'll sell it, I'll sell it. You know, thinking like I would do really good. And so she did, to her credit, this model, she got me back in there and the driver was right. I went into, I would say 40 rooms over the course of five hours, like just in the heels and the uniform and like the whole fucking thing. And not one person picked me the entire time. Which hurt. <laughs> I was like, really? It's like trying to like lift the skirt up and be like meow, 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 Which probably didn't help. <laughs> the guys probably weren't like, yeah, let's pick the one going like this. That's the fucking woman we want in our room with us. She's normal. Uh-huh. I love the way it's like the takeaways. I don't think it was her skin color. I think it was her shitty personality. Um, Yeah, but I I, and and I I think back on it, and it's like it. it, Sometimes I get. uh, Sometimes I think it's really funny, and other times I get quite angry. I get quite angry, understanding that there's like an infrastructure in place that like we don't talk about as a culture, that that is just a constant and pervasive thing, right? and then when I get angry about it, I feel a bit like an angry Teletubby. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like it's like people see me and they're like, oh, it's cute for a while, but huh, tone it down. You know what I mean? Like, just tone it down a little, bit. It's like seeing me angry is like seeing Zoe Deschanel angry. You know, you're like, bitch, just put on another sundress. It's, it's fine. You need a trim. Those bangs are clouding your judgment, you know? That's kind of how I feel and I wonder if a lot of other women feel that way. It's like sometimes it's like you have this rage and you don't have this space publicly to feel like you can address it. It makes me think of Justice because that's a woman and it's in a courtroom and she's blind and sometimes I just wish that we lived in a society where it was also blind. Thank you.
0: This is Risk. This is Tina Turner behind me now. And we just heard from Kieran Deal. That was Kieran in 2015 at the Risk Live show in Los Angeles. And you can see her on January 6th through January 8th at the Philly Punchline. If you're anywhere near Philadelphia, go see Kieran at the Punchline. Her stand-up comedy is just remarkable. And before Kieran, we heard a little interstitial by our episode editor, Jeff Barr. Folks, if you like good old fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a Great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance. There's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through, like, five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Our final story this week comes from Brady Dale. Brady last did the show. He was on live from Philly 3. That was, gosh, 2013. But this story was recorded in 2014 in New York. Brady's a tech reporter, and you can find him on Twitter, at Brady Dale. And here he is now with a story we call Meeting the Mayor.
3: The Secretary of Finance for the state of Pennsylvania has just finished up his pitch for reforming healthcare in the state. It's 2007. It happens in this little town hall in a little central Pennsylvania city, and the room is packed. There's a lot of journalists there and people are asking really good questions afterwards and there's a really solid energy and it's like the first really grassrootsy event that the governor's administration has done to like move this effort to reform healthcare and everybody feels awesome about it, Especially the mayor of that little town. We'll call him Mayor Lenny, uh, because this Secretary of Finance wasn't just like a member of the Rendell administration. He was also like the scion of the leading family of this guy's town. So it looked great for him to be next to this guy at a great event where everybody like thought it was really good. And the person who made all that happen was this guy. <laughs> So let me back up a little bit from there. In about 2005, I arrived in Pennsylvania, and that was a time my optimism of youth hadn't yet given way to my natural skepticism, and I was still trying to do good in the world. So... I I worked for this organization you might have heard of called ACORN. Uh, There was a little bit of a foofara about them a few years ago. I like helped them fight predatory lending and I helped them get low income heating assistance for poor people. But another thing I did sometimes is I would go to little towns and I would try to convince those towns to let us set up free tax preparation centers because people were wasting a lot of money going to places like H&R Block and getting their taxes done. And so I had gone to this mayor, the guy who was at that event a couple years later and asked him if we could set up a tax center in his town. And he was like into the idea and like, you know, had ideas for space and stuff and it never quite happened, but, but he seemed like a really cool dude. He was like a youngish mayor. Like he and I had this good rapport. He didn't have that like sort of bloviating blowhard quality that like a lot of politicians had. And I had met a lot of politicians at this point. And so I kind of dug this guy and like felt like we could like really get along. And that was cool for me because at the time I had this debate. Debilitating crush on one of my coworkers. I was just completely in love with her. And one of the things that she responded to really well is when I would talk sometimes about maybe someday running for office myself. Like she really liked that. And (laughs) and like, so I liked her liking that. So I like entertained the idea a lot. And like people had always said that was something I should do. So I sort of saw myself in this guy a little bit. And I would say that I looked up to him except for one thing. And it's weird that I even noticed this, but that time I met him in his town and we were talking to the tax center, I noticed that he was like really short. Like he was like a, a strangely short guy for a politician. And it's odd that I noticed that because I just don't normally really think about people's heights. Like I am the exact average American male height. And in my mind, just like everybody's that height. I don't really think about it. It, you know but this guy was shorter and I saw it, and I guess it's maybe because I sort of saw him as a leader but that didn't like fit the profile so Fast forward a couple more years, and I start working on this healthcare reform thing. And I'm actually invited into this fight by the governor because I'm working for this other organization that was kind of credited with passing a raise the minimum wage for the state. Like we're the ones who people saw as having done that. So I'm with these people, this coalition, and they're like, what should we do to like move this healthcare idea? And somebody's like, well, we should start doing some events in some little towns around the state where like the local legislators don't like the reform plan. And I say, oh, well, I kind of know this mayor in this this town, like maybe he would help us do it. And they're like, yeah, that would be cool. And so I call him up and, uh, and I'm like, Hey, I, we'd like to do this event about the healthcare reform stuff. And he was like, all right, that sounds all right. And I was like, I'd like your help. We'd like to do it in your town. And he's like, yeah, we could probably do that. And like maybe in the city hall. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. What do you need? I was like, I don't know. Get, intro to me to some like the unions in town and the other groups. And he's like, yeah, that's cool. And I was like, sort to sweeten the deal for you to make it better for you. We were thinking we could bring in like a member of the governor's cabinet, like a big prominent person to come in and speak at your city hall." And he was was like, oh, that would actually be pretty great. Who do you think you could get? And I was like, dude, I can get you anybody you want. Like I got the governor on speed dial right now. Like just tell me. And so he tells me he wants this secretary of finance guy because he's a big deal in his town. So I was like, I make a call and I nail it. So The governor and I, the the mayor and I, Mayor Lenny and I, start working on this and like we're like talking on the phone and emailing. I do most of the work, but like I said, we like kill this event. We just like knock it out of the park, right? So as we're getting close to planning it, I said to him, I was like, look, I'm staying over that night. Uh, It'd be cool to like catch up with you and like talk about political life and stuff. Do you want to like get some beers afterwards? And he was like, yeah, that would be great. And so I'm like, oh, this is really good because like this is how you move forward in politics. You know, like you find someone who's a little bit more powerful than you and you develop a relationship with them and you kind of like bond and they help you and you, you know, whatever like that's what you do so I'm like this guy is a great guy to have a relationship with so after the event I was like all right let's go somewhere And he's like yeah let's go to this restaurant I was like a restaurant that's kind of strange and it's like it's like what passes for a nice restaurant in this town but like the event was early in the day so this is like four o'clock so it's like early and there's like nobody there so it's just like me and the mayor in this restaurant like alone like having these two like Belgian beers and I think eating hummus I don't know and <laughs> And it just, like, feels weird to be, like, alone with the mayor in this restaurant. Like, everybody knows him, you know? And I also, like, I'm so cheap. Like, I'm, like, the cheapest person. And, like, these beers were, like, $7. And that was more than I wanted to spend in central Pennsylvania. So I was, like, do you want to go somewhere else? And he was, like, yeah, man, we can do whatever you want. We can, like, go anywhere you want. And I'm, like, this is weirdly differential for a mayor to, like, this, like, guy from Philadelphia. And also, like, I don't have an opinion about where I want to go. This is the middle of fucking nowhere. Like... So I'm like, what is the cheapest option? So what I'm about to say, like, made sense in my mind at the time. There's a logic to it. So I was like, well, like, what if we just, like, went back to my hotel room and, like, watched TV and drank some beers? He was like, yeah, that would be great. And uh, so... (laughs) And also, like, we're I driven out there, so I didn't want like go drinking and driving. So I drive back to my hotel room, and as I'm driving back, I'm like, oh man, I hadn't actually checked into my hotel room yet. And so I was like, I I guess it'd be kind of weird if I got like a king size bed, and we're both like sitting on this like two dudes sitting on bed together drinking beer. So when I check in, I was like, hey, can I get a room with two beds? And they're like, yeah, that's cool. And so I get in there, and uh, I change my clothes out of my like nice like political attire into like you know whatever clothes. And then he calls me up, and he's like, hey, I'm almost there. You know, how do I find you? And I was like, oh, just I'll just open the door and wave. Just you know, I'll you'll see me from the parking lot. And he says, great. So I'm standing out on the, like the little, you know, terrace on the second floor, like looking out and he drives up and he gets out of his car. I can still see the moment he gets out of his car, you know, perfectly in my mind, he gets out and he like stands up and he's like, I'm here, you know, like, like, yay. (laughs) And, uh, and he's wearing these like light blue, like dad jeans and this like totally white baseball cap that looks like brand new and a white t-shirt. That's like, you know, 5k run walk for Josephine or whatever. And uh and it's and it's tucked into his jeans which like perfectly accentuates his like dad belly, you know. And then he reaches into the car and he pulls out this case of like, you know, Milwaukee's Best or Natty Bow or like whatever. And he holds it up like it's like a game show like, "Yeah." And uh I felt like I was Tony Stark in his Iron Man costume. I don't mean I felt like a superhero. What I mean is, you know how in the movies, when you see it from Tony Stark's perspective, you see those like readings in his face that are telling him what's going on, you know? Like, like that's what I felt like. It was like, smile, 30% too intense. <laughs> body language, indicative of a beta male on a date. Um, and I know that. Uh, I know that body language. Uh, so I'm like, oh, like this moment, things start to feel really fucking weird for me. And uh, he comes into the hotel room and we're sort of, we're sitting there and we're having beers and we're watching like really shitty TV, like reality television or sports. Like I don't even, just flipping around. And I am talking to him about like how he became mayor and like political life, you know, because I'm interested in that. And, and he's talking about how he's taking this class in Philadelphia and the guys in the class will like party afterwards and it's so much fun in Philly. And I'm like, that sounds false. And uh <laughs> And so then I'm like, you know, oh, you're married. You've got kids. That must be cool. And he's like, yeah, it sucks. There's no porn on the television. Yeah. Like I don't, maybe I'm not living right, but I haven't watched porn with another dude since I was like 11. Like, I don't know. Um, I wasn't disappointed about the lack of porn. And so it was like, it was this thing where like, I'm suddenly, I'm, I'm feeling very sympathetic to many women I've known because like, I have put lots of them in this exact situation. (laughs) You know, we're like, we both think like a conversation silently been had, but it hasn't exactly been had. And like, we think something else is going on. And like, you know, maybe even somebody misled somebody, but at a certain point just gotta be like, well, sorry. But the other thing that I'm feeling a lot of compassion for them for is like much like they, I know that many of them felt about me. Like I didn't want anything to, I felt, I don't know. Look folks, I don't know that I'm interpreting this correctly. I could be wrong, but I think maybe he wanted to sleep with me. Like it's not clear, but, and I didn't want to, but I really didn't want him to feel rejected. And I was like really caught up in that. But like, whatever, eventually he just left. Like, obviously nothing happened. And, you know, it was awkward and strange. And, and I'm sure we had some emails after that, like, oh, great event. It was good to work with you, whatever. And, you know, clearly we formed no great political alliance after that. And, um, you know, I have no intention of pursuing that. That girl is long gone. She's married. Never likes me anyway. And, um. <laughs> After he left, he, he left behind the like case of shitty beer, and there was like, you know probably two-thirds of it still left in there. And uh, when I got up in the morning to like drive back to Philadelphia, I looked at the case and I was like, oh, should I take that home with me? Like I don't know. But I thought to myself, like, you know, I didn't enjoy that case like as far as I got in it. And I don't think I'd enjoy the rest. so like maybe if I leave it, the house cleaning staff will find it, and maybe they'll have a good time. So I, I wish them and Mayor Lenny the best. Thanks a lot, everybody. <laughs>
0: for this week's episode folks this is hot chocolate behind me now and we just heard from Brady Dale who you can find on Twitter at Brady Dale well folks if you haven't thought of it 2022 might be a great year to try some storytelling training storytelling is a creative outlet that is not just fun, but fascinating and edifying in so many different ways. And then there's the whole realm of storytelling for business. We have been having such a blast teaching corporate workshops recently, and we also teach workshops of just individuals coming in to get storytelling training for their careers. So look all of that up at thestorystudio.org. And don't forget to check out the Risk website at risk-show.com. We have tables of contents for all the episodes. We have instructions on how to submit us your stories. Our shop is there, as well as information about upcoming live shows. That's all at risk-show.com. Also, look us up on our socials everywhere. We're at Risk Show. And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at the Kevin Allison. Folks, today is the day. Take a risk.
4: Na, 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 na. You take some chocolate and some lobster and some eggs and some pie and then you mix it in your body and shit it all out. You take some chocolate and some lobster and some eggs and some pie and then you mix it in your body, and shit it all out. You take some chocolate and some lobster and some eggs and some pie and then you mix it in your body, and shit it all out. Wow wow wow. take some chocolate and some lobster and some eggs and some pie and then you mix it in your body shit it all out you take some chocolate and some lobster and some eggs and some pie and then you mix it in your body shit it all out you take some chocolate and some lobster and some eggs and some pie and then you mix it in your body shit it all out you take some chocolate and some lobster and some eggs and some pie and then you mix it in your body shit it all out you take some chocolate and some lobster and some eggs and some pie and then you mix it in your body shit it all out you take some chocolate and some lobster and some eggs and some pie